Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 Horror Watch List, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Chris Von Hoffman is the writer-director behind multiple features, including Drifter, Monster Party, and most recently, Devil's Workshop. In Devil's Workshop, Clayton, a struggling actor, is desperate for a role as a demonologist, but he has hostile competition with his longtime rival, Donald. Determined to get the role at all costs, he contacts Eliza, an expert in demonology, to help him prepare. Spending the weekend at her home, Eliza forces Clayton to confront his troubling past through the practice of a series of dark rituals. Does she want to help Clayton, seduce him, or destroy him? The shocking climax will set your soul ablaze. Devil's Workshop stars Timothy Granaderos, Rada Mitchell, with Emile Hirsch. So I actually worked on Devil's Workshop as associate producer, and I am actually in the film. That's right. You can see yours truly acting, or at least trying to act, in the first and last scenes of the movie. So check me out. Devil's Workshop is available on VOD and in select theaters beginning September 30th. So check your local showtimes. In any case, I enjoyed the hell out of this conversation with Chris and uh, really, really hope you do too. We got into his director origin story. We compared notes about being on set of Devil's Workshop because we were on set together a lot. In any case, please enjoy this conversation with writer-director Chris Von Hoffman. When did you technically write the first draft of Devil's Workshop? Uh, technically started writing... I, I think I did the bulk of the writing in February of 2020, right before the pandemic. Okay. Course. So went out to market right when the pandemic started, so that was a... Uh, Damn. Horrible. Yeah, bad timing there. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. It wasn't too long to turn it around, though. Two years is No, actually, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, no, it was not. It, I mean, uh, we kind of worked, uh, start off wanting to, you know, we were trying to go out to, we had a list of financiers. CAA was certainly involved. They were supporting it. And we had a long list of financiers and companies. And then, you know, companies were just sort of getting destroyed left and right for independent films. And independent financing was just just uh, not happening at the time. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, so we just had to work backwards and kind of go to cast first instead of money. And that's where we kind of had some success because it was, a, you know, solid piece of material and actors responded to it and they were reading too. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like the casting process of this movie was uh, very interesting. Like who, there were so many, you know, different actors that right. um, came on throughout the film uh, and, and had to uh, leave for a variety of reasons. And um, it was never like, creative problems it was just like schedules and people got busy and, yeah and we you know we didn't have any money when we had these actors well one so. interesting thing is there were two actors who were originally semi unofficially attached to the project who didn't end up in the movie yeah but i'm wondering did having them attached help move the movie forward yeah i think people were i mean because like yeah people were definitely taking it seriously for sure and uh, they're like oh okay like people are actually responding to this and uh, i think we should take this seriously but um uh but yeah, I mean, it, it just it, it was a 
it, it you know it was my first time like being like a, a producer on, yeah. a, on a film that goes through these kind of channels like a proper film getting made as opposed to like my first film which was just sort of like kind of just DIY total DIY approach which we um, have to talk about too yeah exactly yeah. you know we didn't go through agents on that movie it was all my friends and yeah uh, but with this movie like we I was on phone calls with like lawyers and agents and you know all these different people I mean I had a producer with me on those calls but you know certainly listening I learned an enormous amount for sure yeah um, it was a Ultimately, a great experience. I think it really, I really learned a lot about the inner working. I thought I learned a lot on, on my previous movie, but this I learned an enormous amount. Yeah, yeah. This is your third movie. Uh, third feature, yeah. Third feature, yep. Yep. Right, yep. right, right, right. Yep. Were there any specific lessons that you did learn on this one that are coming to mind as you're talking about the producing process? Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, I mean, no one no one wants to make your movie. You have to right. really like, uh, uh, like the, these guys are not. Uh, um, you really have to. Uh, you kind of have to like you know push it up the hill yourself until people believe in you enough uh, to to come on and and are in it for the right reasons. That was the other thing. Like all the all the main producers that actually produced the movie, like mm-hmm. we're all in it for like they're all in it for the right reasons. And, That's good. But you know, uh, you know, age. You know, a lot of other you know agents. Uh, uh, you know, can be extremely helpful. But you know, they're you know they're go big or go home kind of people, and like a smaller film could be trickier because there's not much in it for them in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's the yeah. tough thing I think for a lot of filmmakers or would-be filmmakers is they have the concept, they have the script ready to go and then they're putting it out to other people and they're contacting agents and their project is not always high priority. No. And I've always struggled with the notion of this being a squeaky wheel, pushing the project forward, constantly staying in their face without being annoying because I think if you're too annoying, they say, fuck this guy, I don't want to work with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I feel like it's such a razor's edge you know, being squeaky wheel, but also not being really annoying to the point where you turn people off. Hundred percent, man. I mean, I mean, like that's why, like a film like this, I think it's important to because uh, we were starting off with, you know, a couple of the bigger agencies, um, and I think that's kind of where things were. Um, it's like they were; it was moving sideways for a very long time. Like they were taking our calls and they yeah. were uh, helping us out, but like nothing was really getting done exactly. Um, so we had to in a way kind of a pivot and downsize a little bit and go to like smaller agencies and then all of a sudden things started to really kind of move forward because that 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 was their priority with smaller agencies. Yeah. Um, a movie like this. Yeah, and I obviously had visibility into this process from yeah. like a very early stage, but for those who are less aware, when did the rubber really start to meet the road in terms of the project getting made? Uh, uh, well, I, I, I uh, met our dear friend Zachary Zach Weiner, uh, Zachary Weiner, who's uh, from, been on the show. Listen to the pledge episode. Yes, yes, yeah. That's 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 when I first heard his lovely voice was uh, your your podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I've been a big. He made a film called Pledge, which we both know about, yep. and I'm a big fan. And what I liked about this movie Pledge, uh, by the way, if, if listeners have not seen it, it's a, a movie that came out in 2018, uh, which was kind of in similar circles. Uh, is a this movie I may call Monster Party. They were kind mm-hmm. of like in a weird weird way, sort of like spiritual brothers. Um, and so I, I just uh, what I really responded to that movie was like. Uh, like the first half had no horror in it and I thought that was like the best stuff you mm-hmm. know and like that's really surprising to find in independent horror films because I just thought the acting the humor the writing was really good yeah. um, and the tone of it um, uh, and so like I met him and, and uh, the director pledged Daniel Robbins and and he sort of uh, that kind of launched me into a, you know their circle and uh, and we kind of all had very similar ambitions and goals and sensibilities and taste and things and um, and similar ideas of what we wanted to do, wanted to do, and and Zach really, um, you know, championed the movie for sure from day one, and and then, uh, um, you know, he was really uh, pushing it up the hill. Then then I then his producing partner Joe Gallagher came on, and then I had a producing partner Gino Tazzioli come on, and we kind of mm-hmm. all, and then DJ Dodd, our other producer, um, like we all kind of just band, band together to like push. Yeah. And we were all pushing it up the hill for like the right reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was uh, bringing individual value to it that was um, uh, really good and everyone got what this thing was because that, that's always important when everyone understands what the movie is right right you know? yeah because I think there's a lot of potential for misconception yes definitely know, uh, with a movie like this because it's got a lot of very strange themes yes you know uh, yeah I don't want to ruin anything I think people should just go in relatively blind yeah I mean that's probably the best way I mean like uh, I, I it's uh, I mean yeah, like the trailer is what the trailer is. I mean, it certainly like is very flashy and you know shows a lot of stuff. But like, it's not there's a it's not like really show like there's a lot of stuff in between that stuff that it's not really you know like it's it's a very kinetic um, yeah. trailer. And I think uh, you know it's 
you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, I, I think it's a movie that is definitely worth experiencing for sure. I'm very curious. I'm very anxious to see uh, how people react to it. Yeah, and it's going to be on a number of screens. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By the time this comes out, I think this will likely come out the day the movie releases. Nice. So all those of you in major cities, go seek it out on a big screen. It's yes. meant to be watched. 5.1 surround sound. That'd be fun. fun yeah. Times. Yeah. Makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, let's back up a little bit. Um, your first movie, Drifter, yeah, was yeah. super low budget, yeah, and it's post-apocalyptic, which typically is a concept that is reserved for higher budgets. But the movie looks fantastic, yeah, yeah. Well, can we talk about that? How did the movie get made? And I mean, it was well, like, let me back up a little further. I mean, one thing I'm always curious about is like how do filmmakers initially get this sort of confidence to make a movie? Confidence meaning like I'm capable of doing this. I will find a way because I feel like there's a ton of filmmakers who would love to do it probably have the capability to do it yeah. don't necessarily have the confidence or the balls or the drive or whatever you want to call it so where did that first come from in you when did you first realize you were capable of making a movie um, a feature why, why I've been like you know I've been I've been um like cutting my teeth on making uh, a lot of short films prior to that. I think a lot of people kind of jump right into making their first DIY feature mm -hmm. like immediately and I think uh, that's kind of I'm not saying Drifter's like a perfect movie by any means, but um, but you know technically it's certainly impressive, I think. And um, uh, but you know it's it's I I just been I was just making so many shorts before all different lengths. I mean uh -huh. like forty minutes, twenty minutes, three minutes, five minutes. I mean just all these different kind of um, genres and kind of styles and and shot on sixteen millimeter, shot on all different types oh, of cameras. Shit. You know, um, my first camera I ever shot a short film on was like a VX 1000, which was like, you know, not the best camera at all, but I was just kind of cutting my teeth on learning story and right. character and, 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 um, under, kind of understanding what, what the, what my tone was, I guess. Yeah. Um, and working with like uh, non-professional actors and, and, and trying to get the best I could out of them and, and, and kind of building that community in, in California for a while. And, um, a little bit in New York, but then like mostly in California, like post 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and so like, you know, it just drifter just felt, uh, like, you know, I, I just felt like just like another one. It just felt like a long short film to me. Yeah. Because I feel like I've been making kind of, I'd made three short films that almost felt like mini features. Mm -hmm. They were like 20, 24 minutes that kind of felt like mini features. And now it's like, okay, it's, let's let's make a real feature. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I don't, um, and if you watch like Drifter, it's very much like a movie that holds its influences on sleeve very blatantly, actually. But, mm -hmm. it's, but I think like that's, I think filmmakers can get away with that on their first movie. Oh yeah, for sure. You know? I forget, you know, did you go to film school? No, no. Didn't go to film school? No. Okay. You just started making shorts at like what age? Um, I mean, in earnest, like, I mean, technically when I was like a, a tween, you know, I mean, yeah. like, I mean, but I, I, but the thing is like, I would film constantly when I was a kid. Like I would film everything. Mm -hmm. Like I would, my parents, you know, got me like this high A camera and I would just constantly be filming everything all the time. And, but I, I never edited anything together. Mm, okay. I would just shoot a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I had a bunch of unfinished, I would get kind of get bored with this and I would, I was like, I would, I remember I would walk into, it was like, I was like uh, telling my dad I just killed someone in a car crash or something. I was like, dad, something to tell you. I want to move on from this project. I don't want to finish it. I have another idea that I want to do. Would your dad help you with these projects? Uh, he was like, well, you know, as long as you, you know, he would always be like, he, he, I remember him always like expressing kind of like being upset that I wouldn't finish the previous one. Yeah. That I was like yeah. wanting to jump into the next one. And, but like once I, once I started to be like, tw once I was like 20, 21 years old, I started to really, um, st from that point on, I was like really committing yeah. from beginning to end. And like, you know, like I think that's why people get scared of commitment because it is a long freaking process, you know, making a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess it depends on like what it what it what it is exactly, but yeah, it, there's just a lot of hoops you got to go through. But you were one of these classic horror kids making movies with the Super Eight in the backyard, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, made like ripoffs of like Scream and called a movie online, which is like killer, like stalking people on the internet. You know, oh, this that's is like cool. mid '90s. Do you so. have any of this stuff still? Um, I feel like I I have a, I, I feel like it would probably be at my dad's house. I feel like I have a couple like um, VHS tapes um, of a, maybe a couple of the unfinished things. Uh, it's just a bunch of like scenes. You yeah, know? they're not like shots stringed together. You know, right. and I acted in all of them. You know, so I mean, I you know, are they good? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, but is there charm? For sure. Somewhat. Yes. Yeah. I think I've heard from multiple horror filmmakers. 
or filmmakers in general, that they were always making little movies, but like never would finish them for whatever reason. Yeah, I just have severe, I just had to, you know, I, I just, uh, I had too many, um, I would see another movie and, and get inspired by that, and I'd be like, oh, I want to make that kind of movie now. Yeah. Like, I don't want to make this kind of movie. Right. You know? Um, so. I feel like yeah. it leads to, like not finishing them at a young age leads to you wanting to complete something yeah. as an adult. It leads to this feeling of like, finally, I'm going to stick to something and finish it. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it gives you a certain drive. Yeah, because like no one is like, you know, I mean, no, no one's, I mean, no one's going to take you seriously until you start uh, actually finishing something and, and showing it. If you're just like shooting a bunch of unfinished stuff, it's like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And probably the process of finishing a movie when you're like 12 years old would be enough to discourage you from ever really wanting to do it later on. Maybe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was not, you know, I was not one of these, like, you know, I hear these stories about these, like, wonderkin, like, 15-year-old kids that, like, you know, 16-year-old kid, like, you know, I mean, I think it's a lot easier for kids today with, like, technology, but, like, I was not, I was, you know, very far from one of those, like, wonderkins. You know? Right. I mean, I right. wrote constantly, though. I was constantly, again, not finishing anything, but writing constantly, you know, writing since I was, like, 15. Mm -hmm. And so, like, writing unfinished scripts, directing unfinished stuff, but, like, ultimately that led to, like, me in my 20s finishing writing stuff, finishing directing stuff. And, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, dr let's go back to Drifter. Um, it, it's a really impressive film. Uh, when you, you told you, me the budget of it, and I was shocked at how little it cost. Yeah, I mean, it's you know that that just comes from like you know just a full on DIY approach. I mean, like you know it was all my friends. I we didn't go through agents or anything. I, I did a lot. I you know I did the production design, did the set decorating, mm -hmm. the props. You know, so like, it was you know. It was it was a lot of like uh, people just kind of forming together to yeah. DIY this thing. I mean, it looked expensive. You had drone shots, I think. It uh, like drone yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joshua Tree. Yeah. Yeah. You had a lot of you had some nighttime shots that looked really awesome. Yeah, Exterior we shot on, nighttime shots. Yeah, yeah. We shot an A seven one hundred for that. Did you you had you must have had a DP though or an A seven S sir. Um, yeah, no, 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 yeah. My friend, not Tobias. Yeah, he uh, he had been a. Uh, I met him at Santa Monica College. I didn't go to Santa Monica College, but okay. I I had a friend that went there that snuck a short film that I made into their film festival. And so I had all these students watch this short, and so I met all these kids that were like aspiring editors and DPs. Oh, and so you just scooped gaffers. them all up and made a movie with them? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, smart. a few shorts and a, and a feature, yeah. 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 So like that's uh, get these guys like when they're uh, at the beginning of their state, you know, career, so they can't like you know charge yeah. you five thousand dollars a day. Well, the production value for that movie was awesome. It looks like you shot in a bunch of ghost towns and abandoned locations. Yeah. No. We. Uh, yeah. We did a lot of. Uh, wacky things to to shoot that movie yeah yeah uh, i yeah it's it's always exciting when you kind of like uh do some dangerous things uh -huh. and, and you get away with it yeah you know? yeah did you have a single permit making that movie uh we did yeah for, for like the we had to get a permit from um, the the road in the town okay. uh, in bombay beach like the salton sea we because we were filming some like crazy shit like in the in the road like we're like cars my because i was half civilized it was kind of like raccoon city you know it was mm -hmm. like half civilized half totally abandoned yeah but there were a lot of places in that town that we totally did not where was it where was the actual town where did you i was actually... like three hours from la it was like um okay. uh salton sea bombay beach Got it goes it. by both names um so they shot uh the bad batch there like a few months before us okay um and uh they shot one other film there as well but did I, they shoot the salton sea in that area probably not. uh it was oh, high budget killer. yeah um i i don't know but uh the director of uh i don't know if you saw honey boy i um, did but the director of that movie made a really good documentary called Bombay Beach, which uh, you should check out. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's okay. all about the people that live in Bombay Beach. It's very strange. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, you know. It's, it's Is that very, like a township that's kind of been abandoned? Kind of. It's very poverty-stricken. Poverty-stricken, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's really, um, we met a couple of the residents there. It's, it's you know, it's, it's very depressing. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was that overall experience like, and how did it prepare you for your next movie? Hot. It was very hot. Because we <laughs> shot, like, in the, we shot, like, August, and people were, like, laughing at oh, us. Oh, holy town. shit. They August, like, in L.A.? Us. Yeah, well, it was like deep and like it was almost near San Diego, and and they were laughing at us because we were shooting in the summer in Bombay Beach, and wow. they were like, they they literally told us at one point people die out here at, during this time, and it's encouraging. And if you watch the movie, like all the sweat is all genuine, you know, like it's all it's all real sweat, all real flies on their faces. Yeah, it felt very real. A lot of it felt yeah, real. costumes, like, the grime on everybody's costumes, like it all looked pretty polished. Rob Zombie, very Rob Zombie. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, what 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 was the what, was, what was, the, was the overall experience like making Drifter and how did it prepare you to upgrade with your next movie in terms of budget stars and all of that? Well, I think I just wanted to make a really angry movie. Like I was yeah. in a really really uh, angry place in my life. You know, I I, I didn't. Uh, I was just really frustrated that I was not getting. Um, 
I was making all these short films and these were not easy short films. Like a lot of them were like, I was putting a lot of work into these things as if mm -hmm. I was making mini features and, and they were not, I was building a community of, of people liking them, but like anyone in Hollywood, no one was, they, was paying they attention. Were, yeah, they weren't getting into festivals and they weren't really going anywhere for me. And like, they were not taking me to, so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to make the most angriest, loudest, most violent feature I could possibly make. And, and I just kind of, that's why the, the movie, like, it has a very, very, very thin plot because it's mm -hmm. not really about a plot or even like character development. It's more just like more of like a sensory overload of just yeah. um, kind of, you know, uh, almost like kind of bashing you over the head and, and, and almost kind of trying to attack you through the screen. Yeah. And that was kind of like the, honestly, if I'm being honest, that was the intention when I was making it. Just have something that's just loaded with energy that's going to shake people up a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it was weird because when it came out, people like were didn't really know what to, because the trailer was 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 very very because uh, um, we we ended up cutting the trailer. I'm oh, sorry. Don't I, stop uh, punching my microphone. I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God damn it. Because we ended up uh, cutting the trailer ourselves for AFM, and the distributor didn't cut the trailer. But uh, God, Jesus I'm, like, so Christ, clumsy. Chris, I got like butter hands or something. Um, <laughs> and so like yeah, I mean we cut our own trailer and. Um, and showed it to AFM, and, and that certainly got buyers. And, but like when the movie came out, people like were expecting one thing, and they got like this very, you know, it was it's it's a that movie is a, it's a very weird movie, you mm -hmm. know, with its soundtrack and sound design, and and it's it's not. I don't think a lot of people were expecting it to be what it was, and um, but ultimately the people that needed to respond to it did respond to it. Yeah, so. I mean it's weird, but it's got a real signature on it. Like it's, yeah, a lot of yeah, choices yeah. were made. I mean it feels like a very unique vision, which I feel is what yeah. you're what it should look for like sure, your first yeah, feature. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still proud of it for sure. I mean, yeah, but it's like, you know, you, yeah, I mean, you're not going to evolve unless you evolve, you know, you gotta, yeah. uh, you know, monster party is kind of like almost like an unofficial remake of that movie. Cause it's, oh, similar, is that right? well, it's a similar structure, similar bait and switch kind of approach and just, Interesting. just uh, better in every way, I think. Yeah. Um, well, what was the process like getting monster party made after just coming off of drifter was drifter a good launching pad for you? Because uh, Monster Party was a much bigger budget. You had some stars yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. When, um, how did Monster Party come about? Uh, well, it was kind of perfect timing because, like, Drifter, the domestic sales agent for Drifter introduced me to um, a producer, uh, Eric Fleischman. Um, and uh, he um, was looking for, like, you know, sub-million dollar films, like half-million dollar films. It started off as a very – it started off like like a $250,000 kind of movie. And, oh, wow. Um, but uh, – but you know, I was I was developing this project Monster Party. I pitched him a bunch of ideas. I was developing this, and then he liked this idea Monster Party, and and then we were developing it for like several months while I was finishing post production on Drifter, and um, and then ultimately the script got into a good place where he felt he needed to send it to CAA and agents, and I got a, a, you know a whole team behind that uh, from that script, and then okay. they saw Drifter and they're like, wow, this is um, you know I I'm you know they were excited to see future stuff uh, from that. Um, because they knew it was kind of like a prototype for like a future okay. filmography, and and um, and so like you know kind of you know everything was kind of you know they were sending Drifter to everybody in Hollywood, and I was getting all these like I was you know doing tons and tons of meetings all over town, and uh, um, and they were it was a blast, you know I I loved I loved doing all those meetings, and and you know did a, you know did a handful of pitches. Did but, the water um, bottle tour basically? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean I loved it. It was it, I really enjoyed it. Uh, some people don't like doing it, but. For that time, I really enjoyed doing it. It must have been a blast. I love it because I was like so, so excited. I was so anxious to like talk to these people, you know, right. get in those rooms and, um, and so like you know, Moss Party finally went into uh, production simultaneously with um, Drifter like going to Netflix. So it was like it was oh, wow. very uh, perfect timing in the spring of 2017. It was very uh, this, the the first half of 2017 was pretty wild, uh, yeah. very dense. A lot of a lot of crazy stuff was going on. Um, and then, you know, Moss Party was going post-production, post-production and, and, uh, and then during that time, you know, I was like, you know, doing a lot of pitching and, you mm -hmm. know, pitch for the Pet Cemetery remake, which was interesting. And, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That you was, wrote up as like a, a treatment for it? Um, well, there was already a script. Okay, um, So it. like, I had like, you know, my ideas on like, you know, rewrites and like the vision and, uh, and just kind of, I, you know, put together this like giant lookbook with everything yeah. and, um, and you know, it, it was it was a great experience. You know, I mean, uh, it was uh, you know, I got to go to Paramount, got to you know, got to like talk about you know the vision it's of the exciting. movie, and, and that was fun. You know, I mean, frankly, I, I you know, I the original Pet Cemetery is like one of my favorite films. So it's like so I don't even know, I don't even know how. I mean, you act, you don't, you know, you don't say that, but like I just don't know how 
Hey, why would you remake it? Yeah, yeah. I, did, like, I liked the remake. I yeah, it was good. It was good. I, I I did know that I did know about like the the idea that it was gonna be the little girl that was gonna get killed and not mm-hmm. the whole, I remember like which I thought that was a script. good switcheroo. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember knowing that beforehand. So Drifter and then Monster Party. How was filming Monster Party? Because that was a big change from oh, Drifter in terms of budget, in terms of stars, in terms of you had sets this time. You weren't running around stealing shots in the desert. Oh my god, dude! Monster Party was like every. The first day of filming, everything was really going nicely in pre-production. You know, it was, um, you know, it was weird. It was like this cast was just unloading left and right. I was like, oh my god, we got that actor, we got this actor, that actor saying yes. All these actors were saying yes, and yeah. like it was just coming together so like seamlessly. Once the script went out, it was really wild. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Lance Reddick was actually the first actor that came on, and then and then Aaron Moriarty from The Boys was the second actor, and then it started okay. to snowball after that, and. Uh, um, and, and then you got what's his name um, from Nip Tuck. I always forget his uh, name. Julian McMahon. Julian McMahon. Yeah, really yeah. like him as an actor. Yeah, him and I had a really awkward lunch when we first met. Uh, right. But like once he signed on, it was like he was super cool. Uh, yeah. Went to his house, did a fitting with him. He was awesome. He, nice. He's an awesome guy. Yeah, he seems like it. Uh, yeah, um, but like everything was going pretty, pretty, pretty smooth. And then like the first day of filming. You know, you th- you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to be just as ambitious as I, as I was a drifter. But the problem is, like, Mossberg had a very intricate, I mean, not a very, super intricate, but it had way more of a plot uh, mm-hmm. than Drifter. It had a lot more moving parts with, like, characters and, and on top of being really, um, you know, ambitious for the schedule that it was shot in, which was, like, 17 days. And it was just, um, you, you know, you think that I was, like, shot listing that thing until the end of time, but, like, you can shot list until the end of time, but until you were on the day, you really, did. I didn't really know how real proper professional movies were made mm-hmm. um i didn't know about like block light shoot like i didn't know about that whole um process and and how risky it was if you go over but like the first day i swear i mean people laugh at me when i say this but i swear it was an omen from from day one that like a bird crapped on my head <laughs> and they and 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 i was wearing a baseball cap and they say if it shits on your hat it it it's automatic bad luck it's because bad luck. I always heard it was good luck. If your hat is off and it shits on your scalp, that's good luck. Okay. But see, I missed it. I inter- it's like Final Destination. I interfered with fate. I, How, what, so did it shit on your head or your hat? My hat. Okay. And that's what I think. Uh, I, I think it like the devil came back to collect. So like what I what I what I'm trying to say is that pretty much every day, pretty much that entire process. Yeah. Was um, uh, really really uh, insane. Uh, just insanely difficult in every way. Like every day was just falling behind, you know, just, uh, just trying to figure out how to make this movie, you know, because I, I, it, it was a very unusual staffing situation and, um, you know, it was just, uh, it, it, it was pretty, um, it, it was, it was a huge learning curve, but, uh, but ultimately we were like, I mean, we only went over it like a couple of days. Like ultimately we were, we did make our days actually. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was just, uh, I don't know, man. Like it, like it, it was just, it, it was a real huge learning curve because there was a yeah. lot, there was a lot of opinions okay. and, um, and it was just, it was like, you know, I was making like, it felt like a small studio film, you know, like that's, but it was like done on like an indie, budget, a lot of indie schedule. I always heard that everybody on set thinks they can make a better movie than you as the director. Well, that's, it's like what John Carpenter says. Like everybody knows better than you. Right. You know, Maybe it was like Carpenter. I heard that. Yeah. From, yeah. I mean, and and like that, that, that's probably the hardest thing about, uh, I think, uh, directing a movie because you have to, you have to, you have to be this sort of dictator and, and, and power of authority and like trying to, um, get, you know, wrangle everyone up to like get this job done and, and, mm-hmm. and get this vision across. But at the same time, you don't have any clout. Mm. So, you know, being like a relatively new director, you mean? Yeah. Okay. So like some people are just going, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, you know? Right. Like, and, and so like, that's. And, 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 you know, of course there's, I'm sure, I mean, I've never heard it said to my face, but like, you know, I'm sure there's people that like, will be like, oh, I, I would never shoot it that way or I could do it better than this. You know, like why is I it, feel like that's, that's inevitable. It's just, yeah. You know? It's, it, you know, just, I mean like when you're like, I think when you're pursuing any creative life, like whether it's a director, writer, actor, singer, what have mm-hmm. you, like you're, you're going to get a lot of shit, you know, oh, yeah. you're going to get a lot of shit, like whether it's from parents relatives friends of relatives you know friends of yours enemies of yours agents managers trolls on the internet critics i mean you're just going to get a lot of shit you mm-hmm. know you just no one you know because un- unless you were doing exactly that it is impossible for them to relate yeah, you know exactly. and, and they just think that you're just 
screwing around. Yeah, and there's a lot of just haters out there. Yeah, and it's um, but you know I think, uh, but you know it's you just you know, fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no matter what yeah. you do, if you do anything remotely important, you're going to catch a lot of heat from somebody. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%. It's in a completely inevitable. I mean, but, like misery loves company. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you, were there any keys to navigating that? Because yeah, again. You're on set. Probably with a bunch of people have more on-set experience than you do, and they think yeah. they know better than you. And there's that fine line between you don't want to you want to be you know inclusive of everybody's ideas and a collaborator, but then like you got a fucking movie to make, you know? Yeah. Well, I think like I think that I think that's probably like because I I think I think a lot of people like ask like I think a lot of people that are maybe not directors or, or like they you know the curious like well, what, what does a director exactly do like what mm-hmm. you know because like are right, the dp's handling the lighting and the editor's doing this you know what does a director actually do and and i think the biggest thing that a director is responsible for is one the actors mm-hmm. but like the in the biggest picture is like the tone of the movie yeah and i think the the key is to, y- you have so many ideas from other people being thrown at you and so many different opinions people like pulling you over like yeah, this you should do this you know and like it, it happens all the time right all day every day and basically you have to i think it's very important to be very open to other people because they're just kind of casually just watching from the sidelines just like seeing what you're doing and 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 um and and so you have to like juggle all these different ideas that people have and and cherry pick the ones that make sense for the overall tone on top of what you actually want to do as well. Right. I Without that, letting it water down your vision for the tone. Yeah. I mean, like, and I think you should understand, you should be able to, under, once you're in production, you should definitely be able to understand, like, it should be pretty straightforward. I mean, like, you know, like that actor is just not going to fit in this tone or like that idea is just not going to play well. I just know it's not. It's just not, it's just totally off kilter. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I, I think at this point I, I've been, relatively uh, prepared enough you know that like I understand like what what my tone is that like what yeah. ideas are going to work and what ideas are not and I feel like another skill of directors that not a lot of people talk about is the ability to kind of pre-understand what is going to work and what isn't going to work within the tone and context of a movie yeah you know be able to filter those ideas and be able to kind of preconceive what will work yeah you know in terms of the way the movie is and the way the movie's supposed to be and all of that. Yeah. I feel like that ability, not enough people talk about it. And it's a real intangible, you know, and I think that's what makes good directors good directors is they know what's going to work and what will work. Yeah. I mean, I, if you're not, you know, I, cause there's, I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, unfortunately there are a lot of people that like sometimes are just, you know, people that just kind of like sit in a chair and just watch the monitor and just kind of like, right. you know, act like, uh, just kind of like the, you know the image of being just a director kind of phone it in I, yeah. and like i i just um i i uh, those people aggravate me because like that you know people look at that as like oh oh that's what you do you know it's like and it's not you know if you care that's not at all what you do. no if you don't not. give a shit if you're just doing it for a paycheck or or just have like a, a built-in thing with a, some sort of like low rent distributor or whatever just cranking movies out for them then so be it but like if you actually care about it with all like 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 would you die for this movie you know mm-hmm. it's like i mean Sometimes you got to ask yourself that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got to give a pound of flesh up. I, I guess for like every movie you make, in one way or yeah, another. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've heard like even Ty West talks about how making movies can be traumatizing. Oh, he's yeah, never yeah, gotten into detail, but yeah, things are going to happen. Things you're going to have to make compromises that if you care about the movie, there it's going to be like a pound of flesh being torn from you. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like it, it could be very. Uh, you know, like if you care about it more than anything in the world, it, it is the most emotionally damaging process you could possibly go through. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and that's, I think, I think it's a very, um, I think filmmaking is a very like misunderstood thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of people, um, uh, I don't know. I think it's just kind of, it, it it's just, it, it's, it's just hard. It's a hard thing to explain. Like what really goes through it's like what really goes through. I mean, yeah, you might not be like, um, like a blue collar worker, like, you know, you know, just laying down bricks or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, it is very, it can be very mentally damaging. Oh yeah. You know, um, same thing with writing too. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I try to write every day, you know, just to kind of like flex my brain. Oh, do you, do you have like a specific writing practice? Like, yeah. Tr- yeah. If, like if I'm, if I'm not like writing a script script and I'm just like kind of writing as a fuck off, you know, just kind of like train my brain. I'll just like, I'll write like 
three, four pages a day or something. But if I'm actually like writing a script, I, you know, I'll usually, you know, crank out a first draft in like five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just kind of like, I, I don't like to lose it. Cause I feel like it's like that line in Finding Forrester where it's like the first rule of writing is to write, not to think. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Do you have any collaborators when it comes to writers, people you show your first, second, third drafts to? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, like I, uh, yeah, I mean, a bunch of random people. I mean, sometimes I'll show it to people that I've never showed it to before. Like, oh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. Why, why haven't I showed it to him before? And I mean, I try to, uh, I try to, you know, make a little gender balance with, like, you know, the, the people that I show it to just kind of get, like, different points of view. Yeah, I feel know? like that's really important. Yeah. But um, so as far as the difficulties on Monster Party, were there any major challenges that you overcame that stand out? Um, yeah, I mean, like, there was... Um, well, I mean... There was two different occasions. I think like the, the well, the biggest probably one is just like dealing with all the opinions during post production. Like post production yeah. was like a fucking psychotic nightmare. I mean, post I, I, was more difficult because we it was there was no pre buy, so it's like we just had to rely on either a festival picking it up or at a certain point just like all right, we'll just have a buyer screening, which we ultimately did, and RLJ ended up picking it up. But um, but you know, the movie was getting submitted to like festivals during like the worst time for a movie like this, which is like the peak of the Me Too movement. And, oh man, you know I stand by the film I don't I don't think it's like at all I mean I think it's very gender balanced I think you know everybody kind of gets theirs and mm -hmm. and I think there's a if you dissect it it's it's actually I think pro um, uh, uh, as opposed to anti yeah. um, uh, and uh, um, but uh, yeah the third yeah the third day I mean the, the, the I mean we had to go through three first ADs in one week oh holy shit I mean like the first AD that came on was um came from reality TV and him and I just, I thought he was fine during pre-production, but like once like filming started, he was kind of like, like spinning his hand, like wrap it up, wrap it up, you know? And, uh, like, let's go wrap it up, wrap it up. And, oh, uh, and I was like, I, I was like just about to lose, lose my mind with that. You know, like it, it just like, what are we doing? Like what you're just like rushing everything and you're, and you're not being a cool guy about it either. Yikes, you know? and being, that. Yeah. He was being very vulgar. And so, I mean, the first three days were like the hardest stuff. You know? Don't work with reality TV. No, because they just want to like, they don't care about narrative or anything like that. No, like, no. The quality of, of course not. You know? right. But like the first three days were just uh, um, insane. You know, Yikes. I mean, it was just like, we, like they just packed the hardest stuff in the first three days. Crew didn't even know each other's names yet. Yikes. You know, um, but you know, it just, uh, but it was sort of a general consensus that this AD was not maybe not the best, and he had to go. He was being profane as well around actors, and can't have that. No, no. So like a producer ended up taking over, um, and he did a totally fine job for like the last couple days of the week, and then finally we got like an official AD. But but you know we were just playing catch up with the schedule because this AD was not with us in pre production. He was a great AD, perfect AD, yeah. But he was not in it for pre production, which is yeah. extremely important for an AD. Um, but uh, yeah, so like that, just the way it was like, God, like every day felt like it was just, you know, it's like in the grand scheme of things, look, it's, it's, it's still like a, a small independent film, but like on a 17 day schedule, I mean, there's still a lot of stuff in that movie. I mean, the whole oh, yeah. second half is like nonstop bloodshed and like crazy prosthetic, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then there was like, you know, one uh, performer that shall go remain nameless that was uh, a little difficult. Okay. Um, he was only only there for like half a day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, always one of those. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, he was awesome. I mean, in the grand scheme of it, I mean, mm -hmm. he was like, I liked his performance, and, and he was, uh, I, I really um, appreciated his commitment. But um, it was very like a method approach, which, oh. um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Everybody thinks that Daniel Day fucking Lewis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like those 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 things, I, I guess during filming. Yeah, um, and you feel like those those two films obviously more than prepared you for Devil's Workshop. How was this shoot in the scheme of things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I was um, I, I this 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 was definitely like my favorite shoot. Of, this is the first time I really truly embraced the experience. Wow, you know? I mean, going to Mississippi was awesome. Yep, we had this like lodging it was like a summer camp with all of us, and uh, uh, I was there. Yeah, you were there, brother. Yep. It was just a really fun. Don't you think it was a fun time? It was so. Yeah, it was like summer there? camp. Yeah, yeah. We all had our dorms. Yeah, we all could like hang out on the premises. Um, we all stayed. It was based. What was it? It was a golf club. Or uh, was it yeah, golf? there was a it golf was a country club. Yeah, there was a golf course. It was a uh, God. I, I'm like totally dry. Um, Hickory Hill something. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I miss it. Actually, I think about it a lot. Yeah, it was really fun. Like when everyone left, I got like really depressed. 
Like because yeah. my because you were there for like a week after. Oh, dude, because like because my my two producers like Joe and Gino they were they were wrapping up like you know returning things and and, and yeah. crunching numbers on the budget and like everyone they were just very doing their own thing and there wasn't really much need for me, so I was just kind of I got I I will never forget it like I was there for like three or four more days, maybe four and a half days or so. After every, all the whole crew left, and I got so depressed. Oh man! Like the movie's done. Everyone's yeah. gone. I'm, I'm kind of in this limbo stage. It's postpartum depression. Oh, dude, basically. I was you delivered I got your baby. So depressed. And now it's because yeah. there was literally we couldn't even edit it because like the, the assistant editor was still kind of like processing, you know, making all the proxies. And okay. I couldn't. There was literally I couldn't even like do rewrites on the script because I was kind of like on this other script because I was just like my mind was just kind of um, I just want to jump into the edit and yeah. uh, but I couldn't. You know, I just. Um, I was just really, uh, yeah, I was really depressed those few days. It was a fun uh, time. It was such, yeah. we would all party in the, the different little dorms. So They're like, basically dorms. Well, there were, were rooms, but they were cabins. They were cabins. I, I thought those were really good cabins. They were I, great. I, I loved like, mine. I had mine myself for the most part. That's that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that's, Which um, was great. Yeah. Yeah. I shared it with Charlie for a few days, which was fun. He was a great roommate. Oh, Charles, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, but other than that, yeah, I just I remember the nights off. We would just pile into one of the cabins and party and hang out and yeah, it was, it endless was like beer and pizza. It was so much fun. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. A, it was definitely the best experience. I mean, just going to Mississippi alone and just seeing all these locals because, like, you know, when you go to Mississippi, it's everyone like when when you live in like L.A. or like New York City for a long time, you know, or like just live in in, a, in an area that's very um, production friendly or mm-hmm. just a lot of productions happen. It's just known for that. People kind of like, oh, you're making a movie, that's cool, you know. But like, when you go to Mississippi. It was insane when we were trying to like Joe and I like went to go see a play at this community theater to kind of support this theater that this oh, Mary, that's nice of you. the Mary O'Keefe Cultural Center in Mississippi that we filmed at, and we went to go see a Streetcar No Desire production there. Oh wow! And um and you know we uh but you know we were asking this woman to get like rally up some extras for it and they they were like through the clouds excited like because they just, got to be in a movie yeah they were all so it was like we were making like Star Wars or something right it was like I was like wow this I love it still exists like people still like love the magic of movies. I heard that really that's exciting. something to shooting in small towns. The guys who shot The Wretched, I forgot where they shot. Somewhere oh, in Rhode yeah, Island yeah. or Which something. I still not seen, by the way. They said that like everybody in the town was so excited about making a movie and everybody was offering them stuff. Like, hey, if you need my house, I got a house. Hey, I got a boat. That's if you awesome. need a boat. And they used a boat. And it all increased their production value. Yeah, that's sweet. And they all, they were able to get extras. Like, hey, my daughter's always wanted to be in a movie. And just like, there was so many freebies because everybody was so excited versus New York or Los Angeles or, you know, Atlanta. It's like, how much are you going to pay me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then they would quit halfway through and all of that shit. But like small towns, man, people still get excited about it. I know, love it, man. Making it was, movies. It was really, uh, put a big smile on my face, honestly. Yeah. Uh, people were just jumping up and down. It was great. Yeah. We had to meet some colorful characters over yeah. in Mississippi for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was um, a good time. I, yeah, I miss it. I miss it. It was a lot of fun. I found it very hard to, cause I was trying to go on like a veggie or slash vegan diet while I was out there. And oh, I nice, slipped, nicely done in I, the deep South. I know it was like, I got like a migraine when I looked at the menus. I was like, I, my brain felt like it was bleeding. Just I kind of remember you being like vegan or vegetarian. Did you stay vegetarian that whole time? Uh, mostly like I'd say like probably 75%. Okay. Eighty uh, percent, maybe. Like I, it was, uh, but sometimes I just, I was like, I don't, you know, my head is killing me. I just, I'm just like, give me a chicken salad or something. Yeah. Yeah, man. As a director, uh, you gotta. You know. But I, I was trying to keep lean. Oh, got lean, it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that the picture's wrapped, how does it feel? Great. You know, like now, now is a great time because like it was. Uh, um, I gotta say, man. Like uh, you know, Mossbury was kind of chaotic, but, but this was. Uh, this was like a different kind of, um, this was a different kind of breed, you know? Uh, there was there was a couple, um, there, there was just, you know, it, it, because being being a co-producer on the film, you know, I, I was privy to a lot of things that mm. I was not privy to on Monster Party. And, okay. and when you are, um, you know, in the loop of these things, it, it just kind of, uh, you know, I'm a very neurotic person, you know, so like anything that I'm in loop for, I'm like, oh my God, this is happening, that's happening, or like we got to do that, you know, I was kind of just, it was kind of like hand grenades being thrown at me, like oh, left and shit. right. But like, but Joe Gallagher, DJ, Gino, Zach, Wiener, like those guys crushed it, man. I like for, for a producing team, a film like this, like they were, they, they were, in, I mean, like, like people don't even know some of the things these guys did, like went in like Mississippi, like just like, like they just, I mean, they, they were terrific, man. Like they 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 just 
It was it was uh, the best. It was one of the best. Might be the best experience I've ever had making a movie. Wow. And, and and just also in general experiences. Yeah. 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 It was a great crew, but yeah, those guys as producers just totally nailed. Yeah. It. I mean, like, don't, I mean, believe me, like the the crew. I mean, amazing. Like, I mean the. You know, Will Babcock, the cinematographer. Oh, yeah, big shout out to Will. Those shots are fucking unbelievable. Will's the man, you know. I mean, Sig Neutron, the special effects uh, Yeah, I was getting the Sig. Uh, Sig Monster Maker, yeah. I mean... um, Yeah, when Rada walked out of the makeup trailer, I'm not blowing the movie by mentioning that there's creature makeup, right? It's kind of in the trailer. I mean, it's in the trailer. Yeah. uh, I won't won't go into detail, but when she walked out of the trailer and the full makeup was on, I was like, okay, you know, it looks, looks pretty good. But then when she got under the lights and yeah. Will lit it, and then I saw her on the monitor under the lights, I was like, "Holy shit! This is I'm telling this you, man, is unbelievable." That's why, like, uh, you know, because I, I watched um, the original, <laughs> I watched like the original Wrong Turn recently. Oh, nice! And because I've seen the whole franchise. It's good. Well, the whole franchise is like, and it's you know, it's like the Hellraiser franchise, like just continuously like plummeted just goes downhill. Yeah, the, the remake re- was pretty the re- good. The reboot was pretty good. I, I like that. Reboot. Yeah, it took yeah. a little while for me to get into it, but I liked it. It was brutal. What what made that movie a theatrical release and the other ones totally straight to DVD? And I, I watched like the because all the all the sequels the the creature like the 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 inbred cannibals are all in broad daylight and mm-hmm. you see all like the cheap makeup and everything and it's so obvious like the makeup. Yeah. The the first one what made the original one su- successful I think is because they're all like the way they're lit. Yeah, it's like oh, you yeah, just show just everything. enough and like and they show they 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 come off really scary actually. Yeah, because they don't really show too much. If you see and, the more you see, the more you disbelieve. Yeah, for sure, know. and and that's why uh you know lighting is a powerful thing, man. Yeah, even Guillermo del Toro would talk about how xenomorphs if you put one in broad daylight in the middle of New York City it wouldn't be that scary, but yeah. you put them in the dark in a spaceship oh, they're dude. fucking terrifying. Oh, absolutely, it'd be pretty goddamn scary walking down New York though too. Uh, a xenomorph, we're yeah. talking. About like an alien, right? Like an alien, like, yeah. like, like dude. I was just watching Alien Resurrection the other night because I'm a big fan. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. I love it. I, I, I remember uh, seeing it. There's a case it. to be case to be made, dude. It's such an entertaining movie. It's, it's such a guilty yeah. pleasure. It's so campy. Yeah. So workshops coming out on the thirtieth. Uh, yeah. It's um, I uh, yeah. I mean, like, it's it it's been um. I mean, look, I mean, it, it it was really no different than any other experience that I'm sure other directors. I mean, like, it was no, it it ultimately, it's like, like, movies are just, it feels like it's chaos, 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 and then it works out, everybody's happy, and, yeah. then, and then you move on. You know, it's just, it's like no no different. I mean, um, I, I just, uh, like, I do you know, like, David Bruckner? Yeah. Um, really good dude. I don't know if you ever, like, met him before. But he's uh, I had, like, a two-hour, like, uh, Zoom call with him during the pandemic. Oh, and wow. He was, like, in prep for Hellraiser, and, and he, you know, graciously took the time to, like, talk with me. And him and I, like, it was weird. We had a lot of, like, parallels. You just hit him up, other. like, for advice? Uh, yeah, pretty much. This is, like, before Hellraiser. Uh, oh, that's awesome. It was, like, before even The Night House had come out. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, we just talked for a while, and, um, and he said that, like, yeah, I mean, aside from the ritual... Uh, because I shot that in England and I was like had a lot of support but outside that I don't think I've ever made a movie where things just went well I mean it was all chaos the entire time and, and but like when it's finished and you move on it's like like you're asking me about like the experience on Mosfer it's like yeah in the t- at, it, during the time it was like feel like a nightmare but I look back at it and it's like yeah okay it was just another movie yeah, yeah. I feel like that's what directing yeah. is is kind of embracing and going with the chaos and making the movie anyway yeah I mean like uh, it's um, I think Chuck Russell you know, like directed like the Blob. And, oh yeah, you know, he had a great um, uh, the DP of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three uh, had asked him about what the definition of a director was, okay. and Chuck Russell said uh, it's the last man standing. Interesting. And uh, I, I think that was a that kind of made a lot of sense. That was a very like simple kind of um, definition of what of, yeah. of what it was. I guess you know, it's a, I mean, maybe not always like you know, it's just like the I, I guess because you just. Because you just have to sort of, um, it's like you have to have this belief in something that's not quite tangible yet, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's a, it's a long term, um, cause like when you're trying to push a script up the hill and you're getting rejection after rejection and, and, um, uh, and anything can happen to make it just completely evaporate. Right. And if you, if you just drop it tomorrow or something, no one's going to care about you, you know, yeah. people are just going to go on with their lives. So like that that's probably, like that's the toughest thing about I think um, trying to get movie. It's just believing in something that's not quite tangible. Yeah, I mean like, but you know, having a script, having a finished script, having a good piece of material that's makeable, mm-hmm. it's gonna it goes a long way. You know, yeah, uh, that's what I found. I found out about the hard way because I was writing so many scripts that were just like 
10 20 million dollar budgets and nothing happened with them yeah you know yeah. Uh, we're trying to get them made as a director you know nothing ever happened with them, you know? yeah uh, yeah and, uh, is there any sort of anything you have to when, when the kind of chips are down and things are going south on set which is like most of the time yeah. right or whenever whatever chaos happens is there anything you either tell yourself or exercise or anything you do to prevent that dark night of the soul to get you through it uh, come out on top of these difficult situations uh, well I have a permanent dark soul Nicholas all right so I I'm, a, I'm you know but uh, I you know I, I think uh, just I mean I don't use, I don't know I don't I don't really know how to articulate that you just you just you just do it you just keep going I mean because like, yeah. I just know I just know that even even if like no one there's always like a few people involved sometimes there's a lot of people but like you know there there's always going to be a few people that are still on your wavelength that know this is going to be something mm-hmm. uh, good and. uh but it's 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 tough, dude. I mean, like you just have to like uh, for for one, you're technically kind of like hired to do a job, so you right. kind of have to commit to it, you know. Right. Um, like someone else is paying you to make this movie, so like you have to finish it, and uh, and if you don't, you know, it's basically going to de- derail your career and permanent uh, permanently, uh, uh, or for a while. Um, but outside that, I mean, you just have to like. I mean, you just you just have to see the big picture, you know, because like you just have to like see. Um, I mean, I, I just, I just know that, I mean, I, I've been just doing it for, I've just gone through this process so many times now, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not articulating this. Well, you no, just have to I'm like say it. fuck it and just do it. You know? Yeah. No, I feel like it's a mindset. And yeah. I think that the kind of losing mindset is that everything should be prepared for me. The producers are going to handle everything. I'm just there to come up with ideas and artistically make my vision happen when no it's you're constantly dealing with chaos i think no. guillermo, yeah guillermo del toro oh. said that making movies eating a shit sandwich but with every movie they just give you a little bit more bread yeah that's very true it's basically like yeah you're constantly sacrificing things you're just bleeding all the time and you just have to push through in spite yeah. of it all and there are like instances of people just showing up and just directing something you know i mean it, it's it's called episodic TV. No, uh, <laughs> um, like I mean, just I, you know, I mean, like what, like that. I mean, I, I, I just I could never do that. Like, I mean, even my mother asks, like, uh, so you know, so you're gonna be, so you, I mean, you have to be involved in like the sound and and the and the music, and, and I'm like, yeah, I, it's like my, my name's on it. I, I, I better be involved. You know, like I, I have to. You know, I, I just I don't see it any other way. I mean, like, I, well, no, you have to be involved in like every decision. It's called I, I, directing. You have exactly. To direct yeah. Every that, that's, choice. That, that's yeah. That that's that's the job. Yeah. I, mean, I don't I don't see any other way to do it. I mean, I don't. How? Why would you not be involved? In yeah. The, you know, it's so hard to get movies made when you're doing it. Why wouldn't you just put everything of yourself into it? You know, I mean, it just you should just uh, you know, I don't know, just kind of go nuts with it and just yeah. really. Uh, you have to be so obsessed and possessed to like make movies and. And um, so, yeah. yeah. One other thing I was always curious about is just the kind of notion of ego on set. Yeah. Just from being on the Devil's Workshop set, everybody seemed to be rowing for you. You know, you seem to have a really, really good relationship pretty much with the entire crew. And if, I mean, I know that there were you, no crew was without, you know, little tiffs and issues and whatever. Yeah. But you seemed to have a really good handle on, or everybody was rowing for you. And I feel like when you're making a movie, particularly on a lower budget, an indie movie, um, and we were talking about this before, there's always some unrest on set. And you can't really be, you have to be in control, but you can't be a dictator because you're going to lose some of the people. But if you give them too much slack, you're also going to lose some people. And you're balancing so many different egos and so many different perspectives and what is your approach to that do you specifically try never to lose it on set do you have a no yelling policy what where's your kind of mind on the balance of kind of keeping the crew rowing in your direction without being too lenient um well i mean this movie of devil's workshop was i think the first movie that i really kind of crack the code of like the balance of, of, um, I guess my temper, mm-hmm. um, have really just, just, um, you know, just like, okay guys. All right. Let's, it's okay. It's okay. Like we're all right. We're all right. And, uh, and 
and that was not necessarily on monster party i i definitely um it was more like my dp and i i, I you know he was always like very like calm but i was um actually quite i mean tyrannical actually. on monster party yeah, yeah. um uh, more towards my cinematographer, which uh, you know, I, I actually just literally just spoke to him on the phone last oh, night. Yeah, so it's like him and I are, cool. yeah, him and I are still like, very, you know, but we just, <laughs> you know, we just haven't worked since then yeah. uh, with each other. Um, but uh, but you know, um, yeah, I, I think I you know I think experience goes a long way. I think, um, and also like you know, I, I listen to everybody. I'm very I'm very open to everybody. I'm mm -hmm. open to my AD. I'm open to the script supervisor. I'm always like asking her. Uh, about like you know, uh, just uh, I I I make people know that they all are sort of um, uh, had the chance to contribute something. Yep. You know, and uh, and I think uh, I I treat it very much as like a collaborative art form because I think it is. You know, and uh, and it just you know, but if it like kind of interferes with the overall tone, then I'll be able to know pretty quickly. And and but I think. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember everyone's name pretty quickly. You know, mm -hmm. I I just I I think I. I personally think that I tend to like treat people with respect. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, like I, I'm a, I'm a pretty like you know straightforward guy until, until I until when someone's like not being professional, like, yeah. that that kind of like sets me off. Like when someone like does something that is just so unnecessary that just kind of killed ten minutes out of our schedule, like mm. that that kind of stuff, like just yeah like just unprofessionalism or like just unnecessary things that are just wasting time like that like because time is the most valuable asset you have when you're making a movie and anything yeah. that like slows down the time for ridiculous reasons that that you know I, I'm not going to like scream but like that that could definitely make me like you know yeah, there's of, no uh, need for that yeah get a little uh, aggressive gotcha yeah well cool man well this was a lot of fun I'm glad we finally got around to doing this yeah before we part, any uh, parting wisdom for those aspiring filmmakers out there? Uh, oh man, that's uh, well. I mean, I kind of you know, I'll say uh, ideas mean nothing, and the only thing that really matters is a finished script or a finished film. People talk about ideas all the time, yeah, constantly, of what they want to do. And they could have gotten a script written during that time. Yeah. And, uh, and also, like, if you're a writer, try to write every day, you know? I mean, I, it just, it, it's amazing what writing every day has done for me, at least. You know, just, it, I'm just not as self-conscious as I was a few years ago of jumping into the blank page. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just, because it's just now it's just a part of you. And, yeah. uh, and if you're doing it every day, it's just like a routine, like brushing your teeth. And, um... Uh, so yeah, I mean, and, and also, like I said earlier, I mean, like you're just, it's just inevitable that you're, you're just going to get a lot of like, I mean, you're just going to get a lot of criticism from people. You know, people are just going to be like, there's gonna be a lot of assholes and like just a lot of people that just don't, um, really get what it is you're doing. And you just got to like, I mean, you just got to, you know, say, fuck it. You know, and, and, like you kind of have to be, I don't want to say like selfish, but you do have to be kind of, um, there is sort of like a, a you kind of do have to be like a little single track minded, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, if you kind of veer off, you're kind of, you're, you're going to start believing them right. that what they're saying is right. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you just have to say, you just have to, you know, say fuck it, fuck it. <laughs> and not give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's a uh, words of wisdom right there. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Cool, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Chris von Hoffman. Number one, nobody's going to make your movie but you. Chris has directed three features, and he's likened the process of getting a movie made to pushing a boulder up a hill all by yourself every single time. He realized early on that nobody will ever want to make his movies more than he does, and therefore the entire fate of the movie is on you Always. It's your responsibility to push your movies forward, not your producer, you. Movies can evaporate so quickly. Things can fall through. People can forget to get back to you. Funds suddenly become unavailable. It's endless. 
you need to assume extreme responsibility and ownership for the fate of your movie because nobody else will make it happen other than you. And many forces are against you. So assume ownership and assume responsibility. Number two, have zero tolerance for unprofessionalism. When asked about remaining calm on set and managing his crew during difficult times, Chris mentioned that he's generally pretty patient but has no tolerance for blatant unprofessionalism. And I think this is a really good rule. As a director, there's a fine line between being a dictator and being a pushover. You want your crew to respect you, but if you bark orders at them and or yell a lot, they will lose respect for you. But too much leeway and turning a blind eye can also be problematic. This is a fine balance, and a key to it is to refuse any blatantly unprofessional behavior on set. What is unprofessional behavior on set? You'll know it when you experience it. Movie making is chaos. People are typically, hopefully, trying to do their best work possible. So be as patient as you can, but refuse to tolerate unprofessionalism. Number three, you are going to catch heat no matter what. As I mentioned in the interview, Guillermo del Toro once likened film directing to eating a shit sandwich, but mentioned with each movie, you get a little bit more bread. No matter what, movie making is a game of taking a lot of shit and a lot of heat from a lot of people. Arguably, films entail more decisions than just about any conceivable type of project. And people have no shortage of opinions, both creatively and professionally. And people also have no shortage of judgment, particularly of you. Between your investors, producers, cast, crew, no matter how good a job you think you're doing, you're going to catch heat for something and be under a lot of constant scrutiny throughout the course of making your films. It's a game of having an iron spine, so get used to being in the hot seat and being comfortable being uncomfortable. But remember, it gets a little bit better with each movie you make. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening, and don't forget to check out Devil's Workshop, available from Lionsgate on VOD and in select theaters starting tomorrow, September 30th. Till next time, don't forget to subscribe, and thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.